Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me are Benno and Jamesy and lads I've got to say fantastic retro episode last time around with you guys and Joe some uh, I mean we had some great feedback for that one Benno and uh, finally got to hear the infamous bus story in all its glory. I know, yeah. <laughs> Typical us, we, we saved it until the last half an hour in the three and a half hour podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, hope, hopefully the people who stuck with us got their bus story. It's it's the main event, it's the hard sell. Uh, but yeah, I made sure I uh, took some time to uh, to tell that one. Yeah, it was great to get all the good feedback though, and it does seem like in this pandemic, a lot of people are going back and watching that era of Ingovana, so I think we encouraged some people to watch that show, and yeah, it was awesome to get loads of people replying to us as well who were there that I didn't even realise were there, giving their feedback and just talking about their memories of the time as well. Uh, it's great that, yeah, it resonated with so many people. Yeah, it does seem like everyone who's sort of like in and around the Brit wrestling scene are certainly doing podcasts about it now, and it seems like there's only me, JP, and Will Coolin here weren't at the show. Uh, where were you? Were you uh, were you considering going at any point? Or no, I don't think because I uh, I was into ROH in the early days, you know, like Paul London, mm. Loki, and all that stuff. But I think I'd sort of like you know not drifted completely away from wrestling. But I wasn't. Um, yeah, I certainly. I remember reading a cracking um, article about Nigel McGuinness and sort of like his running ROH in Power Slam, and they were talking about um, you know the effects of this you know insane style of wrestling he was doing and now it was going to affect his career and stuff and thinking about checking mm-hmm. it out but yeah i never it wasn't really on my radar at the time to be honest with you oh you missed out you could have been in that in that supermarket with us couldn't you jamesy uh collecting <laughs> toilet paper to throw at jimmy rave could have been in the same building as uh andy quilden and uh tass from wxw we've got to mention that didn't we jamesy we on did, the show? We did. yeah yeah all of the other great referee, yeah because I think yeah, all the had gone a bit tits up then, so I must have been sort of like a bit, um, you know, a bit sour on uh, British wrestling at that point, maybe. Mm-hmm. You did King of Europe, though, didn't you? The, uh, no, the no, what I didn't, you... didn't yeah. do that one either. Oh, didn't you? Were you at that, James? Yeah, I don't think you were. No, I wasn't. That Was was that 2008, maybe, was it? Or, or is that too late? Late. I think it was 2007. Yeah, cause it Seven, was, uh... right. Yeah, no, I, I, I did the ROH doubleheader the mm. following year. It was two nights in Liverpool, and then I would have done what wasn't the Noah show. Then the next one, the Kobashi Masawa one. Oh so right, I okay. Them. I came over for that, and then I came over for the first of the the Dragon Gate UK shows as well. And that was mm. they were before kind of mid mid two thousands trips to the UK, and then I kind of fell away from doing it then for a few years after that. Where was the Noah that- show that you went to, Jamesy? I was going to say yeah. humble brag. Yeah, I went to the Ring of Honor show. I went to the Dragon Gate show. I went to the Noah show. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of all I went. How spoiled were we? It was a good run, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was Coventry Martin and the Coventry Skydome. Yeah, really, right. really so great they, show. Great occasion. They yeah. Didn't they do it? Was it that one called No Noah Limits? Fucking God, <laughs> Noah Limits. <And> then, <laughs> didn't they do a Noah Limits too? And that was headlined by like Kidman, Johnny Storm, and Jody Fleish in a three-way. I'm sure, like, Miss Sour or someone else came over for that. I think that one might have been in Morecambe. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So they used two Unlimited for the theme? Probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a second night, I think, to, to that to that tour when they came to Coventry. So unless it was maybe the night after or something like that, Martin, I must look it up, actually, and see. Yeah, may, maybe. I'm not sure. I just I just remember, like, it being reviewed in Power Slam and thinking, all oh, right, Kidman was on a, an FWA show random. I think it was when, after he'd been in WWE and then he got released and then he came back as an agent, didn't he? So it was like, after he chopped all his hair off and everything. So, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, but I suppose, like, 
obviously with five weeks in lockdown here in the UK and obviously Jamesy, you're a couple more weeks ahead of us in Ireland and uh, it, it, I know we've been working as normal. I mean, well, me up until this past Monday, but that's another story for later on. But I mean, what what have you guys been doing to keep yourselves entertained on weekends, evenings, you know, while we're all uh, stuck indoors for this time period? Oh, it's all kinds of things. I, I've been I, around the house. I've been getting, well, getting to do. I've I've had no choice but to do some of the jobs that I put out that I've been putting off for about for years and years. Like we, we moved into this house in 2013 and there's a few jobs that have just been put on the long finger and forgotten about. And then the kids came along and that took up some of our time. And the backyard has been kind of growing wild. I remember I planted some herbs in the backyard the all in full of enthusiasm the year we moved in here and thinking I'd have a lovely back garden and all that. And the problem with these feckin' herbs is that they just grow and spread and they've complete they completely took over the whole one side of the garden, especially this mint bush. The feckin' thing has just I swear to God, there's there's roots about six feet away from where I actually put it down originally now at this stage. Wow. So I've, I've literally spent kind of an hour or two every weekend just attacking this thing and trying to get rid of it, thinking I had it done and then looking out the window a few days later to find that it started growing in a different place again. So I, I'm, I'm in an ongoing feud with this mint bush at the moment. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I've been doing. And then there's a small front bedroom as well that, you know, you know, the room in the house where everything just gets shoved into yeah. old clothes and boxes of stuff that you never unpacked when you moved in and when, when we took down the cot from one of our daughters it got shoved in there and everything so slowly but surely getting that emptied out as well and that kind of thing so yeah that, that's the mundane stuff I suppose and then more enjoyably I've been again continuing my my grim my grim kind of wading process through 1995 Raw and, and 1995 Nitro and still kind of re-watching the Okada Tanahashi feud and doing a little Dick Togo deep dive as well, keeping getting myself up to breast on him. So that's kind of the retro wrestling and then a few things on Netflix as well, watching the, Ch- the Chicago Bulls documentary on Netflix as well and a few other things as well. Well, how is uh, Are you enjoying it so far? I mean, um, I already mentioned this on the Grapple show, but obviously I was a mm. massive NBA fan, so yeah, I still am. Yeah. And uh, I'm waiting till all the episodes have been released and I'm going to binge watch it. Is, uh, is NBA something that you were a big fan of then? Not, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of it, but I, like, I, I think at the time, in the mid-90s, like you'd have to have been born on a different planet if you didn't know who Michael Jordan was and you didn't mm, know who the Chicago yeah. Bulls were, you know. So like I wouldn't have been watching them, but you would hear that they'd won another World Series, you know, that kind of a way. Or, or you, you would hear about maybe something amazing that Jordan had done, you know. So like you, I knew the names Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, all these people. Um, but like the documentary, I'm not going to spoil it for you now, Martin, or anything like that, but the documentary itself is phenomenal. Like it's for, for someone like me, Who's, who has a very basic knowledge of what's gone on, it's great, because I don't know the story. So I'm kind of, I'm on the edge of my seat when it comes to, when they're maybe, you know, giving the details of a certain match that happened, and I don't know if they won the match or anything like that. Like, you, you will know what World Series they won, and you'll know the big incidents. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So as a total newcomer, it's great. But it's really good in that it, I think it kind of, it services my needs as somebody who doesn't know the story and that it does explain everything that happened. It kind of jumps between the year that it's set, which is the year when they're going for their second three in a row. But it jumps back to the 80s and it goes through all the main characters' careers and that kind of thing, how they came through college. It goes through each of their title wins as well and that kind of thing. So for me as a newcomer, it's really good. But I can see how someone like you, 
who knows the people involved, you're going to get a lot from it as well. Like right. because they're telling these they're telling these little stories and you're getting these little snippets of info. Like there's such like you you get into the dressing room with them. Like the footage they get is really really good. I kind of compare it to that. Remember the Senna movie a few years ago yeah. where they got this this incredible footage of him like literally on the starting line about to get into his car. Footage of him in the car. Like you're getting footage of these guys in training. You're getting footage of Jordan sitting on the sideline berating his teammates or giving instructions to them and that kind of thing like so I think it's the kind of thing that it, there's something for everybody you know, regardless of your knowledge of the subjects like my wife was watching it with me last night and she was glued to it you know what I mean and she oh, has good. no in, no interest in sports or anything like that you know have they gone heavily into Rodman yet? Because obviously he was. Uh, oh yeah. People forget he was. He was part of another big team, the sort of Detroit Piston. Uh, the Pistons, bad boys, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, before he joined the Bulls. Have they gone much into him yet? But now. Yeah, they, they go through it like we would talk because you know as you mentioned there, Chief Plug, you were on Gravel with us last week, and we did. You know, we were looking at a uh, Bash of the Beach nineteen ninety seven, weren't we? And we were looking at you know Robin in WCW or more accurately in the NWO and yeah like this almost perfect timing because yeah one yeah. Is, cause they're doing Perfect. two at a time aren't they James on Netflix yeah, releasing yeah. Them. and the latest one is just basically the Rodman episodes about how you know how much of a wild card he is how much like he was like helping out Jordan when uh, when Pippen was out similar to James you know I've got a vague understanding of who the people are mainly from owning Total NBA 97 on the PlayStation <laughs> 1 I um, just generally like James you said the pop culture elements of it but I don't know the story and yeah you you know, the, the telling that story about how, you know, Jordan kind of relied on him, but he was also, you know, a wild card where they had to treat him a bit differently, a bit like how maybe like Alex Ferguson might have treated Ronaldo, you know, just kind of go, ah, yeah. Or, or Cantona is probably the best example, isn't he, James? Yes, really exactly. Yeah, Maverick, got, yeah. That's the story with Cantona, isn't it? That he'd turn up to, like, all the other all the other players would be in the suits and he'd just turn up dressed like Eric Cantona because he's Eric Cantona. <laughs> and Robin feels like the same. He's got that same bit of rope where, like, one of the, in the latest episode, like, they let him go off to Vegas to party for a couple of days with Carmen Electra. Like, and, and I think, like, during that period is, is again, you know, where, where they do let him just, doesn't he, doesn't he skip training with them, with the Bulls to go, to go appear on a Nitro? Isn't yeah. that a story? Like, that's, that kind of sums it up, really. But yeah, he comes across is like the the coolest man on the planet uh but yeah i've been absolutely loving it as well i think that i find the timeline really confusing i don't know if you're the same jamesy like when they do jump around from time to time maybe it's maybe it's because I'm, I'm part of this generation where i when i say i'm watching something i've also got my phone in my hand and maybe i need to pay more attention <laughs> yeah. but every now and then they'll be like oh yeah and scotty pippen was out and then I'll, I'll look back up on the screen and he's on the court again and they've jumped years again so like now, now it's 1994 and I do find it a little bit hard to maybe follow just the layout of it, but the, the, the mechanics of it and the content of it is so, so interesting. And yeah, Dennis Rodman's uh, definitely the star. He's a lot like um, Shawn Michaels in sort of 96, 97, isn't he, with the Bulls? Because Vince seemingly let Shawn Michaels just get away with whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it seems to be a so story with that, yeah. Man management. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Can't um, this- Sorry, Jamesy. Just be, just before you finish, like there's there's one moment. It's nearly my my favorite moment of the whole thing so far. And you'll probably know the match I'm talking about. It was a game against, and I think it was the finals against um, Cleveland Cavaliers. Have I got that right? Would that be yeah. the, the cap? Yeah. And literally, with six seconds to go, Cleveland take the lead and go ahead of them. And everybody thinks the game is won. And there's there's three seconds left on the clock. Now I don't know much about basketball, but like to my mind how you can do anything in three seconds, you know what I mean, is just phenomenal. And of course, Jordan takes the game by the scruff of the neck, gets the ball, 
and again, I don't even know if I'm using the correct terminology, scores a basket, we'll call it anyway. And it's, <laughs> it's just the most amazing. It, it was a jump most, shot, wasn't it? Yeah. A jump, yeah, exactly. And like, I'm there like not knowing much about basketball, having no real emotional investment. And like literally the hairs of my arm are standing up watching this footage of him like, and he just leaps into the air, that iconic picture of him punching the air like, and it's just like he was something else. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's it, they do go on about Jordan a lot. But like you, you can't say he doesn't justify it. You know what I mean? And you talk about people being called the greatest sportsman or the greatest this and that of all time. Like the stuff he was doing was just extraordinary, like just amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are so many iconic moments like that. So, it's, you know, it's not like he didn't back the hype up by being exactly, exactly. Who, yeah. who did all these, you know, sort of like incredible feats that no one had sort of like really seen before in basketball. So, yeah, he did like back up all the hype that was behind him. So, yeah, I can't, I'm really looking forward to watching it, but as you know, I just want to binge watch it all in one weekend. So You will. So, uh, <laughs> You'll get through, you'll literally just be watching it wall to wall yeah. because... Like I, I'm there. The second one is over, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait! Can't believe I have to wait a whole week for the next one now. You know. I actually saw him play on it in his last ever season. Um, it was when he was doing this experiment with the Washington Wizards. I think he'd sort of like got some ownership uh, with them, or he was managing them, or something. I was in uh, Toronto watching Toronto. I think it was 2003, and he came on as a sub for the Washington oh, wow. Wizards. So you know, well past his prime and everything, but still being able to see him, yeah. you know, in yeah, which yeah. was a. It was pretty cool, and um, you know he got like a big standing ovation everybody from everybody in Toronto because it was his last season as a player. So yeah, still a pretty, pretty cool moment. But I mean, um, you know, my my week um, was going pretty well until <laughs> until Monday. Uh, finished work, went and took the dogs out. Uh, they wanted to go one way chasing a dead bird. I tried dragging them on the other way, and then I uh, felt my uh, right knee dislocate, and then screaming in agony as I put it down and then it went back in place again so I had to wait for my wife to come home and um, she whizzed me back to work uh, in the A&E department and uh, yeah I got it put back in and now I've got a big Steve Austin 98 style knee brace on so for the next few weeks yeah you're the Sheffield rattlesnake now from now on, Martin. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, what are, we going to do? what are they going to do without you, Martin? Are you going to be off work now? Is it just to get you kind of locked down? You're a, you're a key worker. You're going to be missed. Uh, well, yeah, I've got the knee clinic on Monday, so I'll be heading over to that. But um, I did it. Mm. I actually just cleared my knee before when I was 16. I had a good few six weeks in uh, a knee brace and tons of physio and everything. So... Yeah, I don't know if it, it's going to be like that again, because um, obviously it went back in place straight away, but it was still obviously very painful. So, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to wait and see, but obviously I think I'll be off for at least like two or three weeks. So um, I'm assuming it's the same. It's just a case of like building up the uh, strength again in your knee and that. So, um, so yeah, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I just couldn't believe Bloody it. Hell. I was like, bloody hell, I didn't think this was going to happen. Just taking the doctor for a 10-minute walk. Yeah, you have to uh, you have to go see Doctor James Andrews, isn't that all the uh, <laughs> yeah. guys get sent to? Oh god, injections. Yeah. So yeah, if that weren't bad enough, though, we got back from A and E, and then it turned out the boiler wasn't working, so no hot water, <laughs> and then the Virgin Internet shit the better. So I think it did for a lot of people on Monday. So they say bad luck comes in free. So yeah, Jesus. Yeah. You don't know I, which... found a, I managed to find a boiler repairman the day after, and it turns out it was a lad I used to go to school with, so I had a laugh catching up with him. Obviously, me sat on the stairs, him working in the kitchen two metres away, obviously, full PPA <laughs> and all that. But um, 
also got mates rates in there. So, uh, yeah. Oh, that's all right. Happy days. That one. <laughs> oh, when, um, when James was talking about his, uh, his dad work before and uh, filling his time up, like I had a situation like that where my, basically my washing machine packed in. I've had it about six years and I'm it just cool. stopped draining. And I was like, but this was a couple of weeks ago. And I was just thinking, you're never going to be able to, considering a pandemic, like one, I'm probably not going to be able to get another washing machine. Two, can I even get somebody out? So I decided like, I am not any good with DIY whatsoever. And I spent about two days just watching YouTube videos, trying yeah. to work out how I'd, cause it looked like it was unblocked. So I, was, I kind of, I had that little uh, thread to follow. And then I, I kind of fell down a wormhole of watching, you know, both like British YouTube videos and then random American ones, learning all kinds of terms and stuff and yeah took me about two days to do it of uh taking it apart pulling things out but i did get it done in the end a proper man a proper dad might have got it Good done in about man, half ben an hour up. but i was still proud of myself that i got it done oh it was bad though <laughs> like it was like blocked inside like the piping inside like i'd had it about six years and i pulled out like bits of hair clothes oh. it was honestly about two pound 80 and change in there in like <laughs> 10 and 20 piece you just over years and nice years. and clean oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. And hair clips, all things like that. It was horrible. Uh, I managed to clean it out though and get it back together. And you know, I had a, I had a couple of uh, hiccups with it, a couple of moments where I was pulling my hair out. But I felt like I earned some dab points with that. I thought that was uh, something getting somebody out to fix it for me. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, fantastic work there. But but I know what you mean about the YouTube videos. I suddenly like once I watch a few of them, I feel like I'm like Mister Fucking DIY. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to change this light fitting now and do all this. And, you know. Yeah. So, I was going to say, if it, I, I was kind of, kind of think, looking at it going, you know, I, I've got a, like, a, I know people who've been plumbers in the past, you know, if they can work it out, surely I can work it out, surely it can't be that hard, but no, it was, it was hard, harder than like, a, I'm quite good at building computers and more like electronic-y things like that, this was twice as difficult, uh, so yeah, I've got uh, lots of respect for the plumbers of the world now. <laughs> And you learned about freezing bread today as well, Benno, didn't you? Oh, yeah, we were talking about that. Actually, <laughs> Did you know that was a thing, Martin? I only found this out a couple of years ago that you could, like, am I, sound, am I sounding silly here, but that you can freeze a loaf of bread and then toast it? Not not defrost it in the toaster. You can just throw it in the toaster and yeah, it comes out as toast. Is this is this new information to anyone else or is it just me? No, I knew that. Sorry, but... <laughs> oh. Chris My Brooks didn't know. Did That's who I told on Twitter. <laughs> My, my mom is the most prepared person in the history of mankind. Like, so she'll always have about three or four loaves of bread in the freezer ready to go. Like, oh. so I always knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. Same when I was growing up, we always had about four loaves of bread in the freezer ready for yeah. to go. Yeah. Sandwiches for school or something like that. They've been defrosted. I think my mum was just wasteful. Like you were saying, James, you'd even like fr- freeze milk. Like I've, I've never heard of that. That's, that's yeah, new. Yeah. Well, I'm learning all these life skills. Like people were on the timeline replying, talking about like, how you can, you can make waffles in the toast. You can make fish fingers. Yeah. Life fish fingers was a fish fingers was a new one on me. I, I knew about the waffles, all right, but the, the fish fingers. <laughs> now I'd be worried they'd fall apart into the toaster, though, and they'd just yeah, disintegrate. That'd be my worry. But it's it's amazing how it's amazing how resourceful we've become. In the have you any have you guys tried doing the haircut yet? Myself? No. Oh, but I'll have to send you a photo. I'll put it on Twitter. Like my hair is a joke. I am full. <laughs> Mich- I am full Michael right now. It's not only got like. <laughs> unbelievably long and is growing from all sides of my head like it, it's it's gone full ginger too it, it's absolutely <laughs> appalling i shouldn't complain because my hair is really thick and i'm you know i'm 36 this year i've got cousins who are in the early 30s who are going bald so my dad gave me some good genes but it's not really paying off in the uh in the lockdown like with uh with no barber to go to but no i haven't gone as far as uh getting the clippers out yet jamesy yeah jamesy, I've, 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 uh, I've uh i've uh the same problem as uh 
Benno's cousins for the past sort of like 10, 15 years. Oh, sorry, years. Mate. So I, I've uh, been cutting my own hair for about 10 years now, basically just. Ah, okay. Because <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was quite prepared. And, and like when this thing started, I already needed it. You know, I, I'm desperate for leaving my hair grow way too long anyway. I've just been lazy. And then finally going, geez, I better get a cut. So I was I, like a week into this pandemic, my, my hair was all over the place. So I ordered a clippers online. And apparently they're sold out everywhere. I saw, I think who was it? It was Sarah Forel, um, Alan's wife, spent ages trying to find a set of clippers to cut his hair recently because everywhere on Amazon is just completely sold out of them. But like mm. I, I had a go with my hair and the first time it went well, and that was my downfall. The first time I did it, I actually did a very, very nice job, a decent job. But then the second time I got cocky and I started messing around with different different extensions yeah, and different yeah. shorter ones and that kind of thing. And I, I'll put up a photo later on or I'll send it on to you. I, like I, I just went to town on the back of my head and there was just <laughs> this, this zigzag line across the middle <laughs> of the back of my head where it was just almost bald. And then the hair was normal length above it and it was just a complete and utter disaster. But I did manage to pull it back and get it back to normal after, I'd say, about an hour of different lengths of the, the little extensions and all that kind of thing. But it was it was a, it was a rough hour, I said, because like I had to go to work the next day and I was like, oh, no, I can't go into work looking like this. <laughs> that's, that's exactly like the reason I don't want to do it is because it's probably like 12 years ago now, but I've still got it in my brain about the one time I tried to cut my own hair and I made such a mess of it. And I ended up trying to shave it and made it even worse. And I'd started the job the week before. And I was this was like a Sunday night when I decided it was a bright idea to cut my hair. And I had to go in on Monday morning, look an absolute state. I think I ended up lying and telling the people I went with, oh, yeah, I went to a party at the weekend. And uh, as a drunken prank, my mates decided to shave, shave my hair. As if that's a better story. As if that makes it yeah. sound any better. <laughs> piss anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just You're didn't want to admit that I'd done it myself. <laughs> You, you know that scene in Father Ted where um, there's a tiny dent in the car oh, and he, yeah. tries, he tries to fix it with a little hammer and he keeps <laughs> making it and he keeps making it worse and worse and worse until the whole the whole one side of the car is completely destroyed. That's that's the danger. That's the danger with the hair. Like you go wrong uh, and you keep going at it and at it and at it and then there's nothing left. <laughs> Well, that's it. And the thing is, as well, we have we have an unveiled video podcast yet, so you know, no one has to see us. I only see the people I, I only see the people I work with. Maybe the odd delivery driver. I'm not that bothered. Maybe I'll just grow it out, and I will go full. I'll go full afro or uh, full McCockney or something. Grow it right the way out. <laughs> It was fine at my work anyway, even if I had a red hair, because everyone just wears, like, um, you know, a, a surgical cap all the time. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't even know. It's weird when someone does come into my work when they haven't, when they're not wearing one of them, and I'm like, who's that? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so-and-so. They just look weird now. They've got hair, you know, because <laughs> everyone's got it, like, tied up and stuffed under one of these hats, so... Uh, but yeah, oh. fuck you guys with your full heads of hair. You know, right? <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun thing. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. I don't know about Sorry, Matt. I'm only kidding. But um, I mean, we've obviously all had plenty of time to be doing podcasts. Obviously, I'm mm. going to mention it there. I guess a couple of times on Grapple uh, now, chatting old school WCW. That's been a great laugh. But I mean, James, are you um, you appeared on Days of Thunder talking Ric Flair and also um, on friend of the show Will Cooling's Pro Wrestling Torch podcast recently? Uh, when you're talking the evolution of British strong style, um, I managed to listen to it a couple of days ago. Great chat, I thought. Uh, pretty mm. talking recent history of British wrestling. Really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it's um, that was kind of done completely off the cuff. I, um, I, I said I said something just a throwaway comment on on Twitter about um, about how shite the name 
British strong style was basically and, and how it was an insult to, to, to the very term strong style and that kind of thing and, and I think Will being from the Midlands is, is quite defensive of them and he kind of shot back with his own opinions and next thing he sent me a DM and said do you want to do a podcast about this and we just said oh, sure, yeah why not we'll just without any preparation and without any that night we just decided we'd go for it and shoot the breeze and as, as I said to Will like two veterans we'll just call it in the ring and, and go from there you know no, no notes no research or anything like that but a uh, great chat with Will always great to talk to him um, and yeah I think it came out well in the end yeah, I really enjoyed it. Really, um, it was mm-hmm. it was fun. So going back in recent history, because some things you forget and then some things you remember about it and stuff like that. Oh and, yeah, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Did you did you have a chance to catch it, Benu? Oh yeah, I'm a big uh, big torch guy. I love uh, I love Will's podcast. It is the fact that he can sit there for two hours and chat to himself, and it comes out that great. I like know. I love listening. Yeah. Like the the amount of times we've been in Germany. And we've all had a few drinks, especially Will. And he'll admit that himself. And he'll go back to his room and then I'll get up in the morning and he's got like a two-hour lucid, incredible podcast about the night before. Like that's where subscribing to the torch alone. But yeah, big, I always listen to that. I always listen to uh, Alan Farrell's podcast, uh, the Tom Martin podcast on there. Uh, but yeah, this was a must-listen for me and I loved it. I was, I was laughing, James, though, because yeah, I saw like the the organic conversation on Twitter where you were having a go with the British Strong Style name. And then obviously Will came up with the podcast idea. And then I sat there and listen to it for two hours and it took you lads got into so much great granular detail about British Strong Style about NXT UK about progress and then five minutes before the end it was like oh yeah the name <laughs> five minutes <laughs> left <laughs> you got there though you got there in the end but like oh, the journey yeah. to it was the best part of the podcast I absolutely loved it I got in the end Oh yeah, you got you got to get that in. Then I mean, I agree with the rants. Like uh, like like you guys referenced a couple of times on the podcast. Mark Buckle, he's a, a friend of mine, and he's always been anti British strong style, and more to the yeah. point, anti Trent Seven. I remember going with him to the uh, the first Tetsujin show, and he was fuming when Trent was just in there throwing suplexes and bumping and kind of ignoring the <laughs> the rules in the ring. So he's been a long time vocal critic of uh, <laughs> Trent Seven's brand of strong style. But I, I would say I, I actually like the name only because I think most, to be honest, most people don't know that what strong style even is. And yeah. the don't true. know that it's a bad name. So it just comes across a song. Oh, yeah, it's British strong style. That's cool. And it just worked, I think. I think the fact that it get it gets over with people who maybe don't know any better um, and just kind of worked in that regard. So I always, I always kind of liked it for that reason, but totally agree with, like, the way your conversation went in that, yeah, the original idea. And we were on this podcast, weren't we, Martin, with Ollie talking about it at the, at the very start and, you know, how, how encouraging those original heel promos were when yeah. you're talking about taking yeah. the signing the contracts on the uh on the progress belts and it it did turn into something altogether different but you can't say like it i don't know th- th- those three guys did become the biggest stars in brit res and you know like you guys kind of hammered home you know that's partially because of their work mostly because of you know the position they ended up in in wwe uk and, and definitely was against the grain of uh their booking at the time in the, in the likes of progress uh, but yeah, really fascinating to kind of listen to it. It's like 2017 sounds like so, so many years ago now. Oh, yeah. Because I, I like before we recorded, I had a half an hour and I said, Jesus, I, I better just have a quick scout through cage match and just remind myself of the chronology because you forget so much. So much happened mm. in especially that six months before they signed the NXT UK contract. Like they, they were just about to come to the boil those guys as the top guys in the UK anyway and then they signed the contracts 
and everything just fast forwarded. It's like they, it's like they fit two or three years of an ascension into maybe six months on the on the indies, you know, that kind of a way. Oh. And suddenly they were these huge stars, you know what I mean? And 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 like it, it was almost like we missed the good part of it. We missed mm. the enjoyable rise of them, you know what I mean? And we missed them having feuds with all the good guys on the scene, you know what I mean? They almost skipped that and became top guys without us getting the good bit in between, you know, that kind of a way. And I think that's maybe the bit that I resent, you know what I mean? The fact yeah. that they went went from middle card guys, as I said, like oh, up until very close to them signing those contracts, you know, they were only just getting the push in Fight Club Pro. They were only just getting the push in progress. And then they just went into kind of a, a whole totally different sphere of, of fame once they did that first tournament for for NXT UK, you know. Um, and as I said, we missed the good bit of it and we missed the enjoyable part. And we very quickly went into then the meme wrestling and, and the big six-man tags that, that for me just got really old very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah cause, I mean, we were loving those six-man tags at the mm-hmm. time, but after a while, it just became too much. Didn't oh, yeah. It? But at the yeah. peak of it, when they were taking on the elite and stuff, I've got to say that, you know, we were sort of like well behind sort of like British Strong Style around then. But it's like you say, it just became too much. And as for the name, I mean, just to echo what Benno said there, but it was perfect branding for them, wasn't it? And certainly, like mm. Will said on the podcast, you know, Fight Club Pro have been using it way before yeah. um, them. As a th- and and that had been perfect branding for them, because they must have sh- sold a shitload of hoodies and t-shirts and stuff with, you know, British Strong Style on the back, and obviously um, Pete and the guys obviously saw that and thought it'd be like a perfect... So it was perfect branding for them, because they did manage to sell a load of merchandise off it, didn't they? Oh, yeah, they probably made more off well, maybe not more off that merch, but as much merch off that need that as much money off that merch. Sorry, as those very early WWE contracts that they got, you know, that were eventually improved. Uh, yeah, I, I do think. Yeah, that's it's one of them. I just don't, I think people probably just didn't didn't care like the likes of us, James. That's not strong style. I think. Oh yeah, that, that's us. But I think generally, I don't think people were that were that bothered. But I was the I was in the same boat. Like with that, you know, Ollie was the one dissenting voice, wasn't he, Martin? Yeah. Like he, I don't think he liked it from the start. But I, we were loving those six months for a mm-hmm. point. Like, I was in the ballroom when they did the initial, you know, Pete Dunne wins the belt in the Thunder Bastard. And like you said on the podcast, James, it completely came out of nowhere. They did the whole, you know, oh, yeah, Trent and Tyler were in cahoots all along, which made no sense whatever. Nope. It was definitely not the story they were planning on taking. To be honest, I think the, the biggest thing is William Regal really liked Pete Dunne. So Progress realized, shit, we better push Pete Dunne. That's my own little conspiracy theory on it. Oh, but. Yeah. I was in the ballroom loving it. It was very Russo, the angle, but when it happened, it felt like a big moment, despite maybe the fact he hadn't put the work in before it. And I, yeah, same as you, Martin, was loving those those six months until it did become a bit too much in the, the Triple H spots and all of that stuff. And it, turned, it kind of turned into a parody of a parody, didn't yeah. it, eventually? But again, we're... Maybe we're maybe we're not typical. Maybe we're the grumpy old man because, like you say, I'm sure they sold a lot of a lot of merch that year, and you know they became big stars to maybe the the newer generation of uh, of British fans, particularly you know the people who came in via WWE UK. Which again, we should never underestimate how many people tell that story that maybe that's where they really got involved in the the British Indies. But again, we're the grizzled veterans, and I think the uh, the glory days were already on the way out for us. I suppose just um, a nice segue there, because obviously we have been talking about NXT UK, because it was supposed to be the uh, takeover in Dublin this past week, weren't it? Obviously that got cancelled a while back, and um, NXT UK TV's still been going. It seems a bit all over the shop recently, episodes ranging from wrestlers picking their favourite matches to episodes full of dark matches from TV tapings. But um, yeah, quite weird that uh, that takeover show was supposed to be happening in Dublin this past week, Jamesy. 
Yeah, and I see this week on NXT UK TV that they're doing the hidden gems of NXT UK. And and my question would be, what? What, what, <laughs> what, what, are, what, are, what are the unhidden gems? <laughs> I don't even know the obvious gems. Not to mind the hidden ones. <laughs> but yeah, like it's it's mad to think. That 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 ooh, this week should have been the big show in Dublin. You know what I mean? And um, am I sorry? No, <laughs> not particularly. I I I don't think I got. To, I actually I missed the episode where, where you guys kind of talked about it in detail. It was just the one just before Karis. And oh, like, yeah. I I had no intention of going to that show. I kind of I, I thought long and hard about it, and I was thinking, like. <sighs> I give out about it so much and I, you know, I, I'm nothing but scathing in my judgment of it and, and, and I hate the reasons it was set up. And I, I kind of felt I would be a little bit hypocritical if I go along then and buy a ticket and go to this thing. So I said, no, I would sit at home and protest and not go to it. But thankfully, coronavirus took care of it. And I didn't I didn't end up having the last minute rush for a ticket or anything like that that I might have had. So, um, yeah, and like it's it's rescheduled for October. Um, possibly the same weekend as the New Japan show, isn't that right? Which is again, of course, yeah. it, of course, it's the same weekend as New Japan because I'm sure there was no other weekend that any venue in Dublin was available. Only that particular weekend, you know the way it is with them. <laughs> no, they these... three years ago. Ah, yeah, all, all, all these unhappy coincidences that always happen in NXT UK that they happen to run the same weekend as something else. But um, I, I would be of the impression that it's probably not going to run then either. Like I, I, I can't see whatever about maybe smaller gatherings of under 500, maybe like OTT might be able to sneak a few smaller shows in or something like that. I don't see a larger scale show like that where you're probably going to get three or 4,000 into the building. I don't see like they, they, they've pretty much cancelled all concerts in this country already up till I think, is it September? So like you're only a week or a couple of months after that again. I, I just don't see it running. I don't see it happening to be honest. Yeah, I completely I think, agree. I can't see many sort of like big events happening at all this year. Sort of like, I think, you know, when they do loosen it, it'll be more a case of, you know, go and see your families and maybe open yeah, some more exactly. shops and things like that. But I suppose, uh, but I mean, you guys talked to the WWE releases on the last episode and the emotional Drake Maverick video. Um, so we had some more interesting news coming out about that one because obviously Drake's still part of this uh, round robin tournament's crown. Uh, an interim cruiserweight champion uh, actually won his second match against Tony Nese. I mean, some of your thoughts on this, Benno? Do you think perhaps WWE saw the outpouring of support after he released that video and he's going to win the whole thing now? Maybe. I mean, it's it's definitely working people to the point where, like, even people I, you know, people we know and you know, are questioning, is this a work? Is has he actually got a contract? Mm-hmm. I mean, from from the report and that we've all seen, you know, clearly. He does, it's not a work, and he is on his way out, which does make this a real moral question as a story. It's one of them, isn't it? It's like, as a principle, working a story out of a real-life situation is kind of what wrestling is in a lot of ways. And it is undeniable that, that Sport or, you know, Drake Maverick, as he'll be known for, what, another week, is, um, is, so, is very, very good at it. Like, he's... There's never, he's always been a top, top level sympathetic babyface. And, you know, he's got range. He does great heel work too. And has done all kinds over his career, as as me, Joe, and Jamesy talked about. Like, he's a special talent, I think. Um, but, like, as sympathetic as he is and as good as he's in the role, and as much as maybe the wrestling reaction to something like this might be yet turned into a story, I just think the real life is just so horrible. Like, this is the, the time where you don't do that. And just the fact that, 
the outright, you know, I was talking, you know, on my other podcast about WWE make themselves the heel so often, and they're making themselves the heel again because they're outright, outright talking on their own TV about how they've sacked this dude who's, you know, working so hard and he's, you know, he's willing to do anything to win that he's a proper company man and he's come cutting this these great promos as a sympathetic figure. And all the while, yeah, in real life, and, and it is real life, real big bad WWE is in the middle of a pandemic when there aren't any other jobs to go to, when he's in a country that he wasn't born in and isn't a citizen of, they've sacked him. And like, I just don't think, even if you really want to get into this story, and I've seen, you know, the progress owners go on Twitter about how great he is, you know, in the role. You know, Glenn Joseph was vocal. Jim Smallman was, was vocal about how how great sport has been. But you can't have that conversation without also talking about how fucking scummy the WWE decision. Mm. In light of the fact that, you know, since we last recorded, they, you know, re- recorded, you know, a highly, highly profitable quarter in their quarter earnings and they're going to continue to be highly profitable for the rest of the year. And if anything, they're chasing record profits. So they're not a company that needs to cut costs to, to stay in business by any means. And if you know that information, and they're kind of beating you over the head with, you know, the fact that he, they have really sacked him in this pandemic. I think that just becomes the headline, really. And I, I find it almost hard to talk about how good sports been because the real life story is just so utterly disgusting. Yeah, James, it's hard to argue with anything Benno said there. Um, and, and it wouldn't surprise you if they did sort of like take this and go, oh, well, he's more popular than we thought he was. So let's keep him on board and make him win this Cruiserweight tournament, despite, you know, all the bad blood that they've had going against them. Oh, like it's it, it's just typical, isn't it? And like it's it's the kind of situation that none of us know exactly what the actual truth is. But mm-hmm. like, no matter what way you look at it, it's like you said, Benno. It's scummy and it's in bad taste because if it is all a work, and if he still has a job, and that whole thing was a work, that's the most tasteless, crass, you know, awful thing to do when people genuinely lost their jobs on the same day. You know no, what I mean? No, I'm not talking about it being a work. I'm talking about him genuinely getting sacked and then them seeing oh, no. the outcry oh, no. of support for him and then them saying, oh, well, perhaps we'll rehire him because he's obviously a lot more popular than we thought he was. Oh, totally. I- I'm just saying that no matter what way you look at this, no matter what the actual truth is, it is scummy, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. if that's the case, then that's bad as well, Martin. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I'm just saying that no matter what way you look at it, it's bad. Because because if it is the case, that's like... And if they're saying that this guy is is good enough to put on their TV after they sack him, and he's good enough to be winning matches against people who do have jobs, then why the hell did they sack him in the first place? Why don't they value him as an employee, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, and if he if he is sacked, and he's being kind of given these these kind of bonus few weeks of work we'll say then that's really really bad as well because you've got a guy there he's probably saying to himself i'm you know i'm desperate to get my job back or i'm desperate to impress them you know what i mean so i'll try really hard and work really hard and i'll come to work and i'll put myself at risk and they're taking advantage of his desperation you know what i mean they're taking advantage of a guy that they fired they're putting his health at risk but they know he's so desperate to maybe get his job back or to impress them or to impress somebody else who might give him a job in the future that they're literally profiting from the fact that he's a desperate man who do anything to kind of impress people 
and that's scummy as well. So mm. as I said, no matter what way you look at it, it's horrible. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just, it just the whole thing leaves me uneasy. And like, I won't allow myself to enjoy it, and I won't allow myself to enjoy how genuinely good Spud is in those promos. Which he, he's called a really good promo again there yesterday, sitting on the ring apron after his match. But I'm looking at it and I'm going, I feel bad because I don't want to give the guy credit for it because it's in this horrible company that are doing these horrible things. And, you know, and as I said, no matter what way you spin it, no matter what way you cut it, it's not good. And it's 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 at, at the very least, it's very, very distasteful. And at the very worst, they're kind of taking advantage of a desperate man. And it's awful. Yeah, yeah. completely if you, agree. It's, incredibly, you know, it's done in incredibly bad mm. taste. And it's like that point you raised there, Jamesy. If he is so, you know, if they can get rid of him, then why was he already booked in to be on the <laughs> TV for this round-robin tournament for a few weeks? You know, if he's that expendable, then yeah. why was he even booked in that position in the first place? That's the main thing that gets you, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and the thing is, there's no good out of this now. Because, you know, if you gave Spud the choice right now, I've got no doubt he'd say, yeah, I'd rather wear like, I'm sure oh, he yeah. would. He'd rather be on TV. Even if he's leaving, he'd rather, you know, get his name out there. And, he's desperate. You know, yeah. He's a prop. He's desperate, yeah. And he's, a you know, a top-level worker who sees, even in this horrible situation, the opportunity. But the company shouldn't be putting him in that position. And there is yeah. no out. Like like you said, Martin, there's no out. Because they can, you know, if they sack him now, still, even after all this work, how bad is WWE? And if they let him keep his job, I don't know. I mean, I suppose that's the better of the two evils, isn't it? But it's still scummy. And then it raises, you know, it will make people think, oh, God, was this just a, a work all in all? And, you know, I'm with James. You know, we can, you know, that's a possibility. But I, I, I think it's an unlikely one. I think he really is sacked. But, yeah, even if they go that way, I think that's the best of the two bad worlds. And I'd, I'd like to see the man keep his job and be able to you know, continue to live where he's set his home up as. Uh, maybe there's the fan of me that would rather see him elsewhere, especially considering how the, the company's treated him. Uh, but yeah, it's just imagine being spud. I'm sure is a, sure it's a real you know mindfuck of a situation to be in. And yeah, I just don't think for anyone there's any hugely great outcome out of this. Yeah, like James you said, despite how good he is in the segments, uh, which are frankly quite hard to watch, to be honest. Yeah, I completely agree. They are hard to watch, and also when you think about all the things that he's like. You know, the angles at his real-life wedding and the fact that he pissed himself on camera for real and all that other stuff. And just what a guy to get himself over time after time, no matter what company he's in. And then to get treated like this is just uh, disgraceful. But, I mean, moving on to more sort of like things that have been done in bad taste, because obviously OTT announced in the past few weeks that they've had to permanently close their training school where Joe Cabrera saying the landlord had, been unwilling to work with them or negotiate a drop in rent or something so um i mean there's lots of businesses having difficulties during this time and it's really awful to see ott losing their training school venue permanently here jamesy yeah and it's like it's 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 been a thing in recent years that that landlords get, get a bad press at times you know what i mean but like when you hear stuff like this it really is justified isn't it you know what i mean because i was listening to um the We The Indie podcast there, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, the, the one that Will was on actually, himself and, and James and David Starr were on it. And David Starr was saying like that, that, that Cabret had even gone to the landlord and said, look, I've got no fees coming in. I'm, I'm not running sessions, so I've got no fees coming in. I've basically got no income for this business. I'm not running shows. I, I'll pay you half the rent for the summer. You know what I mean? For the next few months so we can keep our base 
and the landlord said no. And like, it doesn't even make sense from the landlord's point of no. view because how he's not going to, who's going to take over a, a business premise? It's not even a residential property where you kind of think you might get somebody in as a tenant you know, who had left their own apartment or something like that at short notice. What business at the moment is going to go into a new premises and pay full rent? You know what I mean? So the landlord must be an idiot, like, because he's he's losing. He's basically not going to get any rent from that venue now for the rest of the summer, where at least he could have got half rent from them. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. it's just terribly unfortunate. I imagine, like, in the current climate, and, like, it was really short notice as well. It was something like he received the email at 4 a.m. on on the Thursday. And he was told that he had to be out at the venue by Saturday. So like 48 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies, sorry to interrupt. (laughs) No, you're grand. Um, Do you want to take it from the email that they received? So. Oh yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Uh, yeah, so they so they received an email, I think, at four a.m. on the Thursday of, of the particular week in question, and they were basically told that they had to be out by the Saturday, which was the end of the month. So, like, he gave them forty-eight hours in the middle of a pandemic to move all the equipment. Like, you can imagine all the equipment that's associated with with a wrestling school as well: the ring, the canvas, all the gym mats, all the gear that they had, all their electronic equipment, their computers. Like, at a time when we're supposed to be social distancing. And he's having to call trainees in, you know, to, to, to be close to each other, carrying all this stuff off, stuff out, has to find a new place for it to be stored. You know what I mean? And, and it's just, it's just really, again, you know, we're using the word scummy a lot. It's a really scummy move by the landlord and a really stupid move by him that, that he wouldn't accept the half rate for a few months and still have a good tenant who'd be back paying him full rent in a few months' time again. You know what I mean? It just, none of it makes sense. And it just, you hear these stories in the current climate, you know what I mean? And you hear lots of good stories about landlords, you know, allowing people to have a month off or, you know, people being kind to each other and, and you know, well-off people like footballers taking wage cuts. And then you hear people on the other side of it like that who have no sympathy, who won't listen to reason and who'll just throw somebody out on the street in the middle of a time like this. And it's, it's just awful, you know what I mean? And um, as I said, like, where will they store all that stuff for the next while? You know what I mean? Where are they going to find a new premises in the current climate when you can't even leave your house or, or go beyond two kilometres from your house as it is in this country at the moment? You know what I mean? It's it's just very sad. And, and like, he, he posted the name of the landlord on the internet um, on Facebook a few days later, like, and I say fair play to him. You know what I mean? People like that deserve to be named and shamed. Yeah, I mean, it does really sound like the landlord shot himself in the foot. And it's like you say, it's either like a wrestling ring and things like that are easy to store in your garage, are they? So, yeah, yeah. they have managed to find somewhere to uh, store it. I mean, just last quick story before we get on to, because um, we've actually got some recent wrestling to talk about this week. But um, Morris Gill um, was on the first episode of the ROH podcast uh, talking his new role as Booker and the future of the company. I mean... Um, so I said a number of things on there, obviously saying he's not going to be putting himself over, how he'd like a relationship with AEW, and I suppose um, of most interest to you two ROH nerds that he wants to bring the <laughs> pure title back, have all the titles on the same level, and uh, basically sounds like he wants to make a return to gay beer ROH. And um, I mean, ROH have been pretty responsible during this um crisis and they're not running any shows uh, during it so I mean who knows if they'll even be back at all this year but um, I mean Benno is Marty the guy to turn the tide certainly seemed like he was having a lot of interesting ideas before uh, COVID-19 put a stop to it Oh yeah I mean 
you know, just on that point you, you raised there, imagine Ring of Honor being the baby faces in 2020, the, <laughs> the, the one responsible promotion who are, you know, biding their time and aren't running any of these uh, ill-advised empty arena shows. But, yeah, I mean, we kind of said that at the time as well. Like, Marty, over the last few months or so, you know, I remember it was during when we did um, the TakeOver review, wasn't it, when uh, when the actual news got announced that he was sticking with Ring of Honor and we were live on, on the podcast, kind of just scratching our heads going what is this decision? What on earth is Marty thinking? Um, and it's like, to be fair to him over the, you know, the few months that he, he had a bit of power. And I think he said himself in that interview, you know, he hasn't, he, his proper first shows, he was seeing himself. I was with that, that past versus present show he was thinking of doing. And, you know, Super Card of Honor weekend, they were the big ones that I think he wanted to, to prove himself with. But I do think he kind of washed away some of the, the stink that, that ROH has kind of had these last couple of years and has, you know, really fell behind, at least in, you know, the forefront of all of our minds. AEW is like that, you know, that American, you know smart fan alternative company and he was you know making a lot of the right moves i think the more the question for me was just would it actually make a difference and i'm not sure it would personally i just kind of think you know the one thing is if you want to become work rate ring of honor in in 2020 you need the wrestlers for it and they've got a lot of very good wrestlers but they they haven't got the, the cream of the crop wrestlers like you know, classic indie Ring of Honor ad years ago. You know, lots of the wrestlers are assigned elsewhere. Um, although, again, you know, you've got your Greshams, your Bandidos, and there are guys on the roster who can can certainly go. Um, but again, even if he, as good as he can make it, I just think, okay, maybe now we've all got a lot of time at our hands. But, you know, once the world is uh, is up and running again, have, have any of us got the time to be watching Ring of Honor? I mean, it's hard enough, isn't it? Keeping up with Brit Res, keeping up with New Japan, keeping up with... WWE is half an eye that I, that I do still keep on it these days, keeping up with AEW, which does seem to have taken Ring of Honor's place in the in the sphere of wrestling, never mind, you know, products like Impact, MLW, and, you know, Ring of Honor that, that, that you know, I believe put out good products, but there's only so much good product you can watch, can't you? So I was kind of excited to see it and to see what he did, because he's clearly, like, Marty is clearly one of us. Like, I'm sure he was listening to our Nigel Bryan review and nodding along. He's one of those, uh, he feels like he's one of those era fans are a proper ring of honor dead from uh, from back in the day at least based on his booking uh but again no matter how good he makes it are people going to pay attention to it is the space for another premium wrestling product in america and i'm yeah i think there's a real real ceiling for ring of honor both because of that and probably because for business reasons as well sinclair only ever wanted to uh, to go so far in the first place anyway it's not exactly a never seemed like a, a priority for their business as it is never mind for fans Jamesy is uh, with Ring of Honor does come back in some form of fashion this year. Is uh, my behind it something that's of interest to you to get you back into uh, your ROH fandom? Well, I, I don't think things will ever be the way they were in 2006. You know what I mean? And I, I can't see a time where Benno will be running another bus from, from Liverpool <laughs> to Broxburn or anything like that. But like, um, I Matt suppose... Matt uh, certainly won't be on it. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. <laughs> but I suppose what I would say is they've slipped so low and they've, like, they, they are seen in such a poor light by people under the delirious reign as a booker, you know what I mean? That in a way, he's kind of walked into 
and almost a no-lose situation because any little change that he makes and any little positive thing that he does, even by doing that podcast that you mentioned there, Martin, and referring back to the Gabe Sapolsky era and saying the right things like we want all the belts to be on a, on a similar level, we want to reboot the women's division and make it more important again, any little change he makes he's going to look better compared to Delirious because Delirious was one of the worst. Like it it can't be said how bad a booker he was, how everything was so phoned in, how everything was just the same, how no effort was made, you know, putting the belt on people like Matt Taven, like, you know what I mean? And sullying the the great, we talked about Danielson and McGuinness, like, and these great, 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 all time great wrestlers who, who were champions in ROH, Samoa Joe, you know what I mean? And then we go to Matt Taven, you know what I mean? And, and it just, that MSG show, they embarrassed themselves, you know what I mean? With the way it was booked, with the people they highlighted, bringing out the likes of Bully Ray on, on a show where you've got Okada and Tanahashi and Ibushi being put, been put on, on a pedestal by New Japan. Like they, they, they made a complete show of themselves, you know what I mean? So they're at such a low ebb. He's like the manager coming into a club that's lost 30 matches in a row, you know what I mean? Mm. And if he wins five of the next 30, He's an improvement. You know what I mean? It's almost like that in a way. If he, any little improvement he can bring about, you know what I mean? And any little buzz he can get around the promotion. And I did like the moves he was making before this pandemic hit. You know, that, that pure title tournament that he had set up, like he was going to bring Yuji Nagata over and he's bringing in the likes of Freddie Ahai and Tony Depp and, you know, reasonably hot names from the Indies, bringing in outside guys, trying to get a little bit of a buzz around the whole thing. You know what I mean? He was talking about the, the show on Mania weekend, like he, he had every intention of making that the best show of the weekend, you know, and you kind of believe him. You know what I mean? You, you do get the impression he has a great mind for wrestling. So he will never bring back the glory days, you know what I mean? But he like he did have my attention, I will say, with that pure title tournament, and I would at least give them a chance. And as I said, there's no way he's going to be as bad as Delirious and any improvement. And from his point of view, if he spends two years there and brings out any little bit of an improvement in their reputation and kind of gets a little bit of a buzz around them, he's probably a more valuable commodity again when an AEW comes sniffing around him. You know, if he repairs the New Japan relationship that it looked like Delirious killed with that show at MSG, <laughs> these are positive things and that's a legacy he can leave behind and move on to AEW then as an even bigger star and with his reputation enhanced even more, you know. Yeah, definitely. It will be interesting to see what he does when they do fire up again. But um, just really quickly, um, I mean, Benno, you've been playing the new version of TW, is it? Um, I mean, I've heard tons and tons about this game over the years. We've never partaken. I mean, what's the deal with this? And uh, there seems to be a lot of excitement about this game coming out this week. Yeah, um, it's it's annoying because it, it is early. It's in the demo phase right now. And it's not the finished article. Um, it's it's annoying because like I, I was a big. Did you guys ever play EWR back in the day uh, when no. that, when that was around? Uh, it was just like the uh, it's not the original booking sim. There was promotion wars and other games like it, but it's literally you know football or championship manager for wrestling. I'm sure most of our our listeners have, have played it or maybe heard of it. Uh, but yeah, TW was like the spiritual successor to that. Uh, and like the last one that came out was in 2016 so yeah i've been waiting four years for it and it came out and yeah it's a bit of a mess unfortunately the demo uh it is a demo uh, and we are in like the the beta stage so hopefully things can be improved the proper release was supposed to be last week but it's still going to be uh a couple of weeks ago while they uh they fix some bugs on it so i'm still quietly hopeful uh that they can they can iron it out because i do love it i will spend like hours booking different scenarios you know i've done different saves on it before like I, I did a save this week where I was uh, I, I role played myself as Shane McMahon and took over the WWE 
from uh, from Vince after his uh, untimely passing post COVID and uh, a book the company. Uh, SmackDown is now a women's show. Everybody and uh, Triple H runs NXT. That's how benevolent I am as a, a shame at man. Although in my cleaning out of the uh, WWE locker room, I did uh, fire Robbie Brookside. Sorry to all the Robbie Brookside fans. <laughs> only to have the Bring game a Scouser as well. Oh, uh, well, a fellow Evertonian as well. But then only. <laughs> I think I think it was probably just that appearance on uh, on Unified uh, and the, the state of him in that uh, <laughs> that match with Chad Collier. Maybe he was uh, still stuck in my brain because of that. And then two days later, the game had him uh, as he got hired as the head booker of Rev Pro. So look what I did! <laughs> look at the mess I created before. Uh, God. That's the uh, that's how that's how into it you can get though. Like I've had it before where I book Brit Res companies and like you know I've tried to book people I know and then. You know, they don't get over, and then almost in real life, I'm starting to get annoyed with the person. They could like, why? Would, it's like when you play football manager, and like the the characters in the game almost become, you know, like it's almost like you have a real emotional connection to it. So there's a lot of depth to the game, and it is, you know, the series overall is a lot of fun. But I probably, yeah, maybe caution anybody against uh, installing it for a couple of weeks until the uh, the proper version does come out. But yeah, that does give you an indication of how lost in that game I can get. No, oh, that's a shame, that, because uh, I think Red Pro do their uh, Q&As via Twitter, don't they? And, um, yeah, it's a shame we start on that question. Could have asked uh, Andy Q if he'd uh, ever hire Robbie Brookside as his head booker. In real <laughs> I think he'd save that one for his Patreon. I hope, that's I hope he didn't fire his board, Beto. Oh, no, no, no. Spud's the, Spud and EC3 kept them around. I did some... Uh, good, some good, 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 good. <laughs> so yeah as i um, alluded to earlier we do actually have a show from this year to talk about um i think it's one of the last british wrestling shows to take place in 2020 it must either be this or the pcw road to glory show that uh andy ogden reviewed for us the other week but um yeah held on the 14th of march which feels like about 14 years ago now at the uh <laughs> at the brighton youth center in brighton and uh very kindly sent a screen a copy of this show from riptide so thanks to them for that but uh first things first um i'm, I'm not sure if riptide have run this venue before but they've got a great knack it seems for finding these unique venues and obviously brighton seems like a perfect uh place to find these unique venues that they run um, obviously they ran the open air venue last year and um, there's a usual haunt of the brighton center and um, and this one had a very underground feel i felt especially the great way it was shot really felt like some kind of underground um fight club uh, feel to this one i thought jamesy yeah, really, really cool venue. Uh, all the graffiti on the walls, as you said, it, it kind of gave it a, a gritty and an edgy feel. And it was, I, I got the feeling, I remember the old Fight Club Pro shows before they kind of went into the, the nicer venues and they were kind of more of an underground promotion. Uh, yeah, really cool backdrop. Um, and the atmosphere was great in there as well. You, you could see at times when they brawl into the crowd, they had that tiered um it was almost like a football terrace where they almost had tiered kind of standing areas all the way back to the back of the venue. So it looked like everybody had a really good view. The crowd was nice and tight around the ring. Um, and like, I'm sure we, we'll get into it a little bit later. Like the, the, like the atmosphere was really, really good and it came to a really great um came to a really great crescendo for the end of the show. So, yeah, full marks to them. As you said, that they have an eye for these things. We know that they have an eye for, for making venues look really good. When you think it's just, just in inverted commas, a youth centre, and they have it looking like a really cool place to be. You know what I mean? They're just really good at making these venues. These maybe because was it JP was talking before to Josh Bevan about um, the other venue that they run. And, like, when other promotions run that venue, 
it looks very ordinary. And yeah. yet somehow, whatever Riptide do to it, I think it was Eve ran it before and it looked like any other venue in the country. Whereas when Riptide run it, you want to be there. I'm sitting there watching these Riptide shows and saying to myself, like, I have to get over there to go to a show. It looks like a fun atmosphere. It looks like a cool place to be. It looks like everybody's having a really good time. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, before we run down the matches, I did really enjoy the show. I mean, sure, you know, we got a free copy of it, but that's not the point. It does feel like every time we chat Riptide on the show, we always talk about what a unique show they put on with a good variety of matchups up and down the car, and this was no different. I mean, Benno, I mean, the show opened with the TV sort of changing channels, very much in 1980s feel as the wrestlers made their entrance. Well, that looked uh, pretty good as we mm-hmm. opened the show here. Oh, yeah, the, the whole setup and the, the presentation of it is just, it's second to none. It almost gets a bit, you know, boring, doesn't it? Us having to laud it, how great the production values are of Riptide, but they are, like, they are. I, I, no, I, I kind of say Riptide are like, I, I don't mean to do them down, but they're kind of like your, your local indie. You know, they're, they're a bright and indie, but they are booked and presented on a level that's about 10 times above what the wrestling company would be in anybody else's hands. Yeah. I think that's that's probably the best description of what they are. You might have a, you know, maybe, and we'll get into the show, you know, there are bits I loved about the show, bits I didn't love so much, and in part of me maybe questions, you know, on a mass level, you know, are people do people want to watch essentially what is a local indie on a mass level presented this way you know is this something that you know can can grab the the masses of of brit res fans rather than you know maybe the the normal draw of people would go and see an equivalent of riptide but in their local area i think that's maybe the challenge that the riptide have got on but they give themselves a hell of a head start yeah with this production uh, again you know they, they make a venue that would look terrible in anybody's hands look look first class it was great to get to see you know fans in a venue you know i kind of it's only been a couple of months, but I've kind of forgotten know. what a Brit, what a Brit rest <laughs> crowd sounded like. Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the way we kind of cheer compared to like other fans. And it's all very, you know, just the whole atmosphere kind of made me wish I was, I was sat down there and there in Brighton with a pint in my hand. Uh, but yeah, you know, as far as the VOD goes, yeah, I love the, uh, the CRT TVs for the, uh, for the promos. And I love the subtitles as well. That was a nice little um, yeah. thing that they had in the presentation yeah. throughout the show as well. Again, as you know, Josh Bevan has said in interviews, with you know JP, you know with yourself, James, and just in general, as always said, you know I think they've they've purposely avoided having commentary, and I think that's the right decision. But little visual things like this, I think, really do add um, and you know emphasize. It's it's not a subtitle for everything; it's a subtitle for the bits that mean something, the trash talk in the ring, or maybe a, a big chant that you get from the crowd. Those little touches, you know, even on, I know we, you know, you mentioned we watched a, a media copy of it, but even on the media copy on YouTube, you know, it's split into chapters. It's all set up, you know, really nicely. They do all of those little things well, and they do really give themselves a, a real good shot of, uh, of standing out from the crowd amongst the, you know, what has been a crowded market these last few years. Yeah, because first match on the show was uh, G-Money and Millie McKenzie against Paul Robinson and Damon Moser. And um, it's quite funny because at the start um, with the video, G-Money dubbing the team with Millie McKenzie, the dog-faced gremlins, asking um, Rick Steiner not to uh, sue him for that, which I thought was quite amusing. <laughs> and um, this was um, it, quite a short match, uh, quite uh, short for, for an opener, I thought. But it really struck me. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw a Millie McKenzie match. Obviously, she's been spending so much time in Japan, sort of like 2019. And I, I 
I'd forgotten like how much I enjoyed her coming in and doing um, all these suplexes and stuff, and um, really, really enjoyed uh, seeing her here again, Jamesy. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's not a remarkable match by any means. It, it's a fast paced, energetic opener, nice, quick, and snappy way to get the crowd going. You know, um, they're not trying anything out of the ordinary. They're not trying to be anything more than exactly what it is, which is an opening match on an indie show. You know what I mean? Um, I was impressed by Gene Money here. Um, looks to have gotten himself in pretty good shape. Um, you forget when you see him beside other indie wrestlers, he's quite a big man and he moves around the ring pretty well for a big man. Um, some impressive power moves. At one point, he kind of slams both Moser and Paul Robinson at the same time. Easily, not a bother on him. Um, Middy looked great. I thought really good hot tag house on fire, like when she's throwing around people, you know, easily throwing these guys around with all these great suplexes. Um, with Paul Robinson, you know what you're going to get. You know what I mean? This angry little man who's going to rile the crowd up. And he's, I really like him in this riptide environment. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we talk about riptide a lot as being kind of, the, in inverted commas, woke promotion and that kind of thing. And then in the middle of all that, you've got you've got Robinson coming in, foul mouth, you know, cursing <laughs> yeah. and swearing. Paul and Millie McKenzie, all, all kinds of names underneath the sun. And he just stands out so well in that environment. You know what I mean? So, as I said, a good little opener, a great way to get the crowds kind of, to wake them up for the show to come and nothing more of it. Yeah, it's a perfect role for, for G Money, isn't it? Generally, we don't really haven't spoken about him much on the podcast, have we? It's like a, no, somebody no. who's really made a name for himself over this this last year or so. Like he was a name, I'll be honest, I wasn't hugely familiar with until like the you know the tail end of last year. Is uh, I think through his appearances on the Shard before the shows and just through standing out by being different, you know, in a maybe in a Grado vein, being like the comedy guy, the go-to guy for matches like this to put in your opener. Like he's, and you know, the whole self-created, you know, I'm, I don't see much of a progress on my timeline on Twitter, but you know what I do see? G Money trying to get him booked for himself booked for yeah. Super Strong Style. Like he's gotten that over as a as a bit of a story as well. And yeah, he's the perfect guy to throw out in your open like this. Do some comedy with Millie. And yeah, I enjoyed Damon Moser and Paul Robinson as a team, mainly because of Paul Robinson. And yeah, as James you said, I love love Paul Robinson as setting. I love Paul Robinson in any setting, to be honest, but I think he's perfect as being, you know, he's he's nothing at all like Spike Trevay, but he fits so perfectly as being the type of guy get talked into being Spike Trevay's backup. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, seeing him on this show. And yeah, just a, a nice opener where, you know, heels went out on the end, but still went, went by quickly. And yeah, it was, uh, was solid enough. Yeah, and uh, Robinson picked up the win in that one uh, after a curb stomp on Gene Money. And um, in the next match was uh, T.K. Cooper against Warren Banks. And T.K. Cooper someone who uh, might be out of favour in some of their bigger promotions, but um, seems to really thrive in, in Riptide, uh, cut promo here. Um, and then sort of like had a really short match with Warren Banks. Warren Banks not really someone who's been on my radar, Benno. I can't think of any matches that I've seen of him before, but he looked pretty decent in here. Yeah, he's another one who threw like the Schadenfreude lads and just through you know the Midlands has started to to make a bit of a name for himself this last year. But yeah, same as you, you know, if you went back a few more months than that, wasn't somebody on my radar either. Perfect for for Riptide though. Um, yeah, I, I thought that you mentioned the, the Keeper Cooper promo there, and he, he mentioned being a what Riptide being a, a, a house of broken toys. I'm sure <laughs> I've heard that line somewhere before. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it, you know TK is weird in that. He's, you know, he's presented here as like this Mr. Riptide and, you know, he does, you know, impressive stuff like, you know, the big lion salt spot that he does and kind of does have flashy stuff in there. But I just, I still 
I still don't really know who he is, and I don't think he knows who he is as a wrestler yet. I think Riptide's the best place for him to be trying stuff out like this. So, you know, he's doing it, kind of doing a lot of like comedy kind of banter with the crowd, wasn't he? Um, like throughout the match, um, and he's still, I just, I don't know, he just doesn't carry himself like he's the most confident wrestler in the world, and he came across as one of the most confident wrestlers in the world very early on in his progress run. Um, and he did, it did feel like he got that beating, beating out of him. Uh, but you can definitely see signs here, you know, that maybe he's a, he's a bit more comfortable in his own skin. Riptide certainly got confidence in him, obviously putting him over stronger against uh, Robin Banks here. So I would say he's, you know, he's more confident. I just don't think he's he's all the way there yet. Uh, but yeah, I thought Warren Banks looked good in the match as well. You know, it was a nice hot start with the big dive at the stars. And I thought they had a, a solid, you know, maybe two and a half star, you know, match number two in a card. But again, you know, this is a two-hour show. Didn't outstay its welcome and was was solid enough. And yeah, you know, even if I've still got questions around TK Cooper, I'm kind of interested in, in him in Riptide more than I am maybe anywhere else at this point. Yeah, and, and that's... Sorry, about Martin, go on, yeah. No, go on. I was just going to say, like, it's, it's a recurrent theme whenever we review... Riptide shows and whenever we talk about Riptide and it's something we'd probably say a few times tonight I feel like the Riptide version of a lot of these guys is the best version that's out there you know um, I can't say I've enjoyed TK Cooper in progress since back since since he was tagging with Travis really you know uh, and he had the, the, the kind of the trio with Alia Black as well um, I, you know he's done the odd shot for Rev Pro here and there he doesn't seem like anything special he does feel to me like he's a little bit more special in Riptide and I did think the pre-match promo was really, really good. Like in the space of 15 to 20 seconds, he establishes a few things. Um, and like it's, the promos are really good. If, you, if this was the first time you had seen a Riptide show, these promos are really good at kind of getting you up to yeah. speed about who this guy is, you know, what they've been doing in the promotion lately. And like in the space of 15 to 20 seconds, he establishes, number one, he's pissed off that he has to wrestle this newcomer and he has to kind of babysit him, as he calls it. Number two, he kind of gives us a little bit of an introduction to Warren Banks, tells us his nickname, uh, says that he's kind of a bit of a monster of a wrestler and that kind of thing. Third thing he does is he reminds us how much of a big deal he is in Riptide and he gives us a list of all the people he's beaten, Kyle Fletcher, Candy Floss, Chuck Mambo. So you, you get straight away, you're reminded, okay, this guy is a, is a top guy in Riptide. And the fourth thing he does is he puts over the promotion. You know what I mean? He talks about how Riptide is now the main promotion he, he wrestles for and it makes it feel like Riptide is much more important than any other place he works you know and that's really really good as I said for a new viewer or somebody who might have skipped a few shows and hadn't watched in you learn everything you need to know about TK Cooper and it's almost like when they're doing that the need for commentary isn't there you know that they would be the things that the commentators normally would do on a show but they're doing it with these little unique promos instead and like I would agree with a lot of Benno said the match itself what was it, six or seven minutes, a quick match to establish him as, as a kind of a top guy. He did enough, I think, with Warren Banks to kind of make Warren Banks look good as well. I was reasonably impressed with Warren Banks. I thought he had a good physique. I like his ring gear, you know, very important first impressions. You see a guy, we talked about Robbie Brookside showing up in 2006 in, in ROH and looking terrible <laughs> and, is, and is immediately colouring our opinion of him. Here, like Warren Banks, looks like he has spent a bit of money on his ring gear. He looks like he cares about his appearance. You know what I mean? He looks professional. Um, I thought he had really good explosive offence. He hits a really good spear. So like for a seven minute match, second match of the show, they still achieve a lot. You know what I mean? They advance the storyline. 
to keep us up to speed on TK Cooper's position in the promotion, it's as good as you could hope for from a second match on the show, you know. Yeah, definitely. And um, we weren't done there with TK Cooper. He got on the mic after the match and called out Chuck Mambo and said, you know, he's one of his best friends and he's trying to, you know, build him up a bit more. And he said, um, I fetched out another of my best friends. So um, I think it was a surprise appearance on the night. Travis Banks coming out. And um, I thought these two had a, a pretty good match. Um, certainly the best I've seen of Travis Banks in, what, maybe a year because obviously not doing a great deal on NXT UK. And, uh, yeah, and obviously it was all about sort of Travis dominating most of the match with uh, Mambo making some flashy comebacks. Um, surprised that Mambo didn't win the match, but maybe not considering the NXT UK thing. But, um, yeah, I thought a really good match here, Benno. Yeah, yeah, I'm probably not as high on it as you. I don't know. I just, you said there, you know, it's maybe the best we've seen of Banks. How, how depressing is that? <laughs> it's like, you know... I, how I think it was because the crowd was so into him as well and the surprise oh, yeah, of him yeah, being yeah. there. And I thought, um, you know, because the match was um, oh. a fairly decent length, didn't outstate its welcome. But um, I thought, you know, it was Travis Banks doing a sort of like greatest hits thing. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't disagree with any of that. And it's the smartest possible use of Travis Banks, isn't it? You know, if you're going to bring him in, bring him in like this as like a nice little surprise. And, you know, he's not too high up the cars and he's just in as like almost like an import, just doing a, you know, a, a one off appearance. So I can't argue with any of that. I kind of like the Chuck Mambo down in the dump story. It, it was another, you know, thread on this undercard, like James, you mentioned about the previous match, about following along with TK Cooper. That was easy to get into a story I now know and a story now. I want to follow, but yeah, this felt like Travis Banks just felt like a a blast. Speaking of British strong style earlier, it really felt like a blast from the past. He felt, he feels very 2017. He feels like he's been stuck in limbo land for the last two years, and he's as a result of that, it's got no momentum. And it really, I think for me, it just made me not really care about the match. Um, I get. You know, it furthers the Mambo story having Travis Banks win. And I wonder when, you know, as you mentioned, Martin, whether there's a, a reason why Travis Banks has to win here. But again, he's not very high up on the NXT UK totem pole anyway. So maybe maybe I could be reading too much into that. And maybe, you know, that emotion is the point. I shouldn't want Travis Banks to beat Chuck Mambo. I should want to Chuck Mambo to pull it out here. So maybe, maybe in a way they got me there. But yeah, I just struggled to care about Travis Banks in, in 2020, to be honest. And, you know, that goes with, you know, the caveat of understanding why you'd use him and why you'd use him in this slot. Maybe it's a me thing. Uh, but yeah, I just couldn't get away from uh, from our 2017, he felt. I don't know if you felt any different, Jamesy. Um, probably somewhere in between the two of you guys. I, I think that the biggest thing I took from it, again, is that I care more about Chuck Mambo in this promotion than I've ever cared about him yeah, anywhere that's else. that's the main thing, you know, isn't so, it? And I suppose yeah. the, the win the by uh, Travis extends the story of Mambo being in his funk, doesn't he? And I suppose they were mm, going to continue yeah. the Riptide Rumble. Yeah, and like a thing that Booker's struggle with a lot is... You know, when you give a guy a long title run like Chuck Mambo has had here in, in Riptide, and when that guy loses the title, a lot of bookers don't then know what to do with that guy anymore. Like, like if you think back, Benno, to maybe ROH, remember when Joe lost the the, the title after his two-year run? And it mm. felt like he kind of, he, he had a bit of a pure title run and he did things here and there. It felt like the there was nothing... Yeah, it felt like there was nothing more for him to do in the promotion. And mm. like I, I think that can be difficult difficult for Booker sometimes to know what to do with a guy but I feel like they're telling a good story here with Mambo you know what I mean and he's kind of doing the sad lad thing and he's down in the dumps and, and you know you, you you wonder about Cooper 
is he too concerned with Mambo? Is he, you, is he going to turn on him again or something like that? That's the kind of thing that I was left with. It. It's almost oh, like TK yeah. Cooper is too concerned with Chuck Mambo almost. You know what I mean? Um, and I thought the match was really cleverly wrestled by Mambo. Like he's, he almost on purpose didn't execute his moves as well as he should. He was wrestling like a guy who was a bit, he'd lost his self-confidence. He was a little bit uncertain, you know. So I enjoyed it for that, you know what I mean? And I do think you have to kind of watch Riptide with the storylines in mind rather than match quality all the time. They're not going to be blowing you away with every match on the card here, but it's the stories you have to look out for, you know what I mean? And as a story and as a use of a wrestler after losing a big title, I like it. I'm into, into it. I'm interested. And I am now like, you know, the whole time they're pushing this next show. And I like that they always do that in Riptide. It's not just a show into itself. They're talking about what's happening next. And now I kind of want to see this rumble and see does Mambo do it or what happens? Or is TK Cooper going to turn on him? So, yeah, as I said, and like if you are going to get an NXT UK guy in, you know, I think Travis Banks did his job reasonably well here. I don't mind the fact that Banks won because it extends that storyline that that Mambo isn't what he was and was before. Um, so I liked it. As I said, it's not a match that I'm going to be throwing a load of stars at, but as a storytelling device, I was into it and I did understand why they did what they did with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do agree there with the with the finish about. I suppose Banks had to win, didn't he, to continue that storyline? It is just a shame that we aren't getting this uh, Riptide Rumble for the continuation of that sort of like Chuck yeah. Taddo, uh, TK Coop storyline. But um, moving on to the next match, and we had uh, Killer Kelly against Mad Kurt. And um, I've got to say, this is probably my least uh, enjoyable match of the show. Um, I mean, Mad Kurt's all about the shtick, isn't he? And um, I don't know, it, none of it really landed for me in this match, and I kind of feel like Killer Kelly's a sort of Portuguese baser, and I thought it was all about Mad Kurt here until she picked up the win. I'm not sure about what you felt about it, Benno. Yeah, I think the, the Mad Kurt gimmick is kind of overawing, isn't it? And you've kind of got to build a match around that, uh, rather than maybe the previous incarnation of Curtis Champion, where he was like the, what was he, the uh, the internet heel, the, uh, you know, he was kind of like the, the smart fan with basically his character. Uh, this is a bit of a sidestep from that. Um, you know, I as far as like a, an intergender match, I suppose, you know, for Mad Kurt, you know, being in the in an intergender match, it maybe allowed them to be a bit, you know, meaner and to get over a little bit more as the heel. But yeah, it was a nothing match because Kelly kind of just fought back and won, didn't she? Like, it was just, it was really, really, really basic. And I do like both of them. I do like that, you know, Mad, Mad Kurt's another one who's a, a name you gets thrown around because he does get himself over and he has managed to stand out from the crowd after all those years as bland Curtis Chapman. So you've got to give him some credit there. And, you know, I think part of that did again, maybe start up in Riptide with, with the uh, the keyboard warrior stuff. Um, so maybe give them some credit there. But yeah, I think, I, I think I'd rather see Killer Kelly in something a bit more substantial than this. This was just a, a bit of a throwaway gimmick match, if anything. And I think there's, uh, there's better things to do with Killer Kelly, but, you know, obviously, you know, it's not going to be one and done. I think she's going to be sticking around in Riptide now for, for a while as a, as and when they can start putting shows together. So, you know, at least she went over and at least, you know, there's that indication that we're probably going to see uh, a lot more about. And I did enjoy the bit with her, her carrying Mad Kurt's house at the end. So I suppose it, it wasn't all for nothing, but it just felt a bit more like a, an angle um, than a match, really. 
Yeah, you used the word throwaway there, Benno. And I think it was by far the most throwaway match on the card. It was the only, when you look down the list of matches, everything else had some little bit of story to it or fed into something that was building for the future. Very much a throwaway match. Um, I, I am so glad to see Killer Kelly back on the Indies. Like, people forget how new she is and how, like, how soon, how, how recent it was that she arrived in WXW, like, was it two years ago where she came to prominence? Like, I know she was wrestling at home mm-hmm. in Portugal for quite a while, but say on the wider, bigger European scale, it's only about two years since she was around, you know what I mean? And she's one of those people that we would give out about NXT UK signing too quickly, you know what I mean? And I'm really glad from from her point of view and from the point of view of her development that she's back on the indies. Like, these are the shows, she should be doing shows like this. At her stage of development, she should be just getting out everywhere, wrestling matches, wrestling matches like this where there's a bit of shtick and working on her personality and character a little bit as well, you know. Um, So it's nice to see her in an environment where at least she has something to do and she has a chance to develop. Um, But I, I really don't think there's an awful lot more to say about it than that. The coolest part of the match actually for me was and he deserves full marks uh, the cameraman who caught that really lovely shot of her shadow on the wall. At one point she was up in the oh, turnbuckles. Yeah. And they got a really lovely artistic shot of her silhouette kind of up on the graffitied wall. Just one of those really nice little moments that, that Riptide will always capture. You know what I mean? Eliza organically captures almost by chance. You know what I mean? And that's nearly the thing that I would remember the most about this match more than the match itself. And up next, I think um, we had my favourite match on the show. Uh, it was Coronel R against Mike Bird. This opened up with a real... Cause I've never... I've I've seen a few Mike Bird matches, but I've never been sort of like um, the biggest Mike Bird fan. He's just sort of been there in a lot of stuff. But um, like a lot of the wrestlers that we're talking about here, he's really um, coming to his own in Riptide. And I thought he did a really good um, promo package before asking, do you hear them, Thomas? Um, Obviously, Coronel's real name being Thomas. And um, I thought these two did a great job of just like, you know, smashing the shit out of each other and some uh, really cringe-inducing moves, especially when um, I think it was on the outside and um, Bird got uh, flipped on his back and then landed seeming lad directly on his neck on the side of the ring. That was certainly cringe-inducing. And um, yeah, normally I'd roll my eyes at sort of like a double DQ and it was a bit OTT seeing the referee coming out and saying, oh, I'm sick of you two guys knocking um, sort of like my colleagues out. But I thought it worked for this if you were going to do... Um, Further the feud be- between these two, he got them out of um, either of them losing here, Benno. Oh, yeah. I-, I thought the brawl after was just so well done that it was yeah. one of those sleight of hands, wasn't it, where you very quickly forget about the results and all, and you get pulled into it, like like you do a lot of the stories on these shows, you get pulled into the fact that you you do want to see these two um, tear each other apart. Um, I'd share your praise of the Mike Bear problem with the stars. Like, that was... That was real. That was a revelation yeah. to me as a promo. That was very, very good. Like you know what you know. I'm talking about the tropes of what they'd want the uh, the vet to say in this promo. Oh, do you want me to say this? Do you want me to say that? I thought he was great. Like I've never ever been a Mike Bear guy. You know, we were talking about Robbie Brookside. He is a wrestler with an unfortunate look. He looks like a rusty two pence piece. He's like just got a hot, <laughs> his horrible gear and like I'm ginger myself. So you know we don't always have the best look. <laughs> it just it just he just he's always come across a bit low rent indie for me. But like this was a bit of a revelation getting to see him as like the you know cut that that big promo as the angry vet. 
he was great dominating the match. Uh, you know, the, uh, maybe the, the throwing out the shoot name Thomas stuff was a, maybe a bit much for me. But I thought Cara Noir was really good underneath it. Was, this was a great... You know, Cara Noir is always in danger on these Riptide shows of, of stealing the show. Um, he, you know, he is the maybe one of the main things you talk about when you talk about how good Riptide is. It's the uh, the original Riptide presentation of him that other companies have, uh, have now tried to copy. But it's like an upper mid-card, maybe second from top feud, like... I was invested again. I was right, right into it. I kind of enjoyed the, you know, the multiple ref bump stuff that led to the the double DQ. And yeah, I enjoyed the brawl after. It felt realistic. It felt like two dudes who really hate each other. Uh, you know, Karen was a difficult gimmick maybe to pull that off with, with him being more of a, I don't know, a character or like a, a special attraction kind of wrestler. But it, you know, it's the type of feud that might you know bring a bit more of that side out of him. So that can that can only be a good thing as well. So yeah, I thought you know maybe I've, for me the main event is is the match of the show. But I thought as far as execution of you know a match on the way clearly on the way to somewhere else, I thought this was really really well, well executed. And I thought uh, everybody involved did uh, did really well for the part. Yeah, Jamesy, the visual at the end with um, them rolling with the entire locker room clearing out to separate them with the sort of like crowd chanting, let them fight, was uh, was really good, I thought. Oh, yeah. Do you know what it reminded me of, Benno, was, um, do you remember the homicide brawl in ROH? <laughs> I was going to reference, like, this, we're just going <laughs> retro ROH again, yeah. sorry, Matt. <laughs> I was thinking of it in those terms, because this is like when... Because people forget Daniel Bryan wasn't, you know, a huge personality. Not that he's a huge yeah. personality now, but that feud with Culkin, but the, the, the feud that he had with Homicide really brought his personality out. And Culkin and Homicide did the same thing as well, where they kind of brought out that other side of of Culkin and the Homicide feud. I felt like, yeah, Mike Bev was very, very Homicide uh, in this in this role, kind of bringing something out of a character you wouldn't expect. Yeah, all we were missing was Gabe Sapolsky on commentary talking about, we have to get out of here. They're going to pull the building apart. <laughs> but um, just just to echo what you guys said about that promo, like, like up to this point in the show, that was by far the best thing on the show. Like I, it, it, I was sitting there looking at it and thinking to myself, like this isn't far off the Sean Ryan OTT videos. Like the way they were showing the clips of their feud so far. And like, you know, at the danger of repeating myself again, this Mike Bird is by far the most best Mike Bird I've ever seen. You know what I mean? You talk about that film Moneyball where they get these guys who aren't appreciated anywhere else and they turn them into effective baseball players. Like Riptide just have this knack of getting these guys who've never really been properly pushed anywhere and drawing this emotion and this passion out of them. Like Because that has to be the best promo Mike Bird has ever cut in his life. Like It was really phenomenal stuff. And yeah. Just a great, 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 like almost more of an angle than a match, I would say. But like, again, as you guys said, I can't wait to see the payoff. Um, but there's one little thing that has me a little bit worried. Um, but did, did either of you guys get the impression that they're building to le- loser leaves town here? Because it, it, remember at one point, I think it's Josh Bevan is on camera and he's saying to the, he's trying to get them to stop brawling and he's saying, you want, he, you want him gone and he wants you gone. We'll sort it out. It feels like they're building to lose or leaves town. And what have we been saying over the last few months about Karen Noir maybe signing a certain contract? Like, why would he be doing a loser leaves town match in Riptide? So just something to watch there. I wonder if that's the direction they're going in, you know? Um, and just the final really interesting thing is, did you guys know he's never won a match in Riptide, Karen Noir? Because you 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 feel like he's 
he's the top one of one of maybe second or third from top guy in the company. So they've booked a guy to never win a singles match ever in the company, and, it's not and he's still one of them. Either, no, it? exactly. It's an amazing feat of booking, like to have a guy oh. on a losing streak through his entire run, and he's been there since 2017. I had a look back at his cage match because I was 99 sure that was the story, like, and that's an amazing thing to book a guy to lose, lose, lose all the time, and still to be seen as one of the top stars in the company. Like, that's really clever booking. Yeah, and certainly the sort of like mystique around this character and that must help that as well. But uh, yeah, not I'd never thought about that loser leaves town thing. But yeah, now you now you mention it. Yeah, I suppose it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, let's get into this main event because as much as that was my favorite match on the show, the job they have done for this match. I mean, you've got Spike Trevay. They built him as the most hated man in, in Riptide, and certainly the crowd absolutely hate him. He's done a brilliant job in all these video packages. We've seen tons of them. And then Jordan Brakes as the hometown hero. We had a nice little package with him with some of the older school wrestlers talking about when they were uh, when they were in this venue years ago. And then just the amount of emotion in this match from the crowd. I mean, it must have been a, a good five minutes of them chanting for Jordan Brakes. And how they've got him over as the hometown babyface, Benno, is just nothing short of amazing. And Spike Trevay just... It's just magical, I think, in, in Riptide because he really does get the crowd to just like, mm. you know, he gets genuine heat with the crowd here, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I watched this match last night and I, the first thing I did was took to Twitter. And I was so excited. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I've watched the Brit Res match and felt like that. Like, this is the most I've enjoyed the Brit Res match in Lord knows how long. You know, I'm not counting you. You know, Osprey, Zack Sabre type matches, you know, pure Brit Res, poor two full-time Brit Res guys. You know, I call it maybe a, a four-star match and might not go further than that. But as far as the work that was contained in it, it was just, my God, like Spike Trevay as the ace of a promotion should not work. Like it shouldn't, like based on all of the evidence that we've accumulated, mainly his progress run, let's all be honest. But like Brit Res in general, but mainly progress. That shouldn't work. And there are probably list people listening to this going, ah, he can't be that good. He is that good in this promotion. And, you know, I say that entirely unbiased because he's someone who's blocked me on Twitter and I'm still fuming about that. But I'll let that <laughs> <Me> go. <too. laughs> he blocked so me good. as well. That's how good a heel he is, James. That's what it is. Yeah. Heat, even, even with the, uh, the Brit Res and Irish podcasters, that's what it is. <laughs> but, like, he is just, like... As a promo, like that political promo we got at the start, that was almost like a, you know, like a, like he was he was running for office, like a, against Jordan Brakes as like the incumbent. It was just incredible. Like from that, the the way he carries himself, his entrance with his goons following him, like you said, Martin, the way he's just he's in control of that crowd the entire time he's out there. And yet, you know, I, I just said to myself, I, I give it four stars. I'm not talking, you know, five star work rate stuff, but you know, it's the, it's the stuff between the moves. He's controlling the room. That's what he's doing. He is bossing the ring. He is, it was a very basically laid out match. You know, it was a heel dominating with some great cutoffs, you know, like using the ropes or that backdrop to the floor he did off the pile driver attempt. Uh, I don't want to go too much into the match because I know that that's James's feeling. I'll let him do that. But there were just great little moments like that in the match that just maybe look at, just look at Spatrava in different ways. Like this, he is controlling this. Every single person in this room and their emotions are in the hands of Spatrava right now. And, you know, Jordan was great too, you know, with the with the hope spots, as you said, Martin, is the, uh, the great 
underdog hometown babyface as well. But I kind of looked at this match as just a, just a the performance for, for Spike Trevay, the best performance I've seen of Spike Trevay. And I know he's had more lauded matches than Riptide, but as far as just a, you know, watching one man and how well he worked in the, these individual circumstances. I just, I, there aren't enough superlatives. I thought he was a, another level here. And yeah, I'm really, I'm strongly hoping in uh, James he agrees with me, but I've, uh, I've got a feeling he, uh, he probably does. Oh, totally. Like, and, uh, and everything, I would say this entire package for, from the, from the videos to the match, to the aftermatch, aftermath is, is one of genuinely the best things I've seen in Brit Rest. Wow. in a good few years. As you said, you take out your Osprey coming in as a visiting guy or your Zack Sabre Jr. But as you said, pure Brit rest, like two unsigned talents. The way this was booked, the way it was put together was absolutely phenomenal. Like you mentioned it there, Benno, it, it was really like a Tory party political broadcast, wasn't it? When he was doing the, he was doing the promo beforehand, like he's going on, he's using these, in the exact way that the Tories would use these disingenuous sound bites, like he's talking about, <laughs> I'm going to bring accountability back to the promotion, like this kind oh, of bullshit yeah. that you'd get you from a Tory me, but politician. I'll let that go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, like he's 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 exactly like like a politician would do. He's genuinely trying to convince you he's the savior of this promotion when everyone knows like the, the depth he went to to even get the title match to win that title in the first place. Like he completely cheated and threatened his way into it. You know what I mean? It's almost like a real nice nod, nod to the actual Tories. You know what I mean? And then the really nice spike, uh, the really nice uh, Jordan breaks promo. Like uh, you mentioned it, Benno um, Martin, where he's talking to the old he's talking about how this building where the match is going to happen is where he goes to vote you know things like that he's, he's walking around Brighton talking about how much he loves his hometown like really simple stuff and like, and like the blue eyed baby face in 2020 can easily come across as fairly cliched and feel like a kind of a, a thing from a bygone era where it's just not cool anymore but here they managed to have a blue eyed baby face and an awful heel, and the crowd completely buys into it. You know what I mean? The chanting before the match, we have to talk about that. Do you remember oh, us yeah. having having a mini argument, uh, Benno, on one of my first appearances on this podcast, about the dragon off Bobby Gunn's thing, and how it, oh, felt, yeah. a, how it felt a bit contrived, and how was, it felt like... Go yeah. on, yeah. I was watching this thinking of that, though. I was thinking of you. Yeah. I was thinking... Because I didn't have any spoilers, so, I mean, I, other than, you know, uh, JP talking about it on Grappling here, and Will, I'd kind of put that out my brain and didn't really know whether that was going to happen. Like on a part of me was thinking, Oh no, we're getting the guns, Bobby guns chance right the way through this match. Is that, is that what this is? Uh, but it wasn't that, was it? They kind of turned it. No. The crowd no. kind of, the crowd were a bit more creative, let's say, and went into some other chance and kind of stopped when the match started and paid attention to maybe the point that you raised about the WXW yeah. issue. But, yeah, but they also... went to stop, didn't they? It wasn't yeah. like, you know, it was like a good five minutes and then it was like, went after Trevay's um, introduction, they kind of like calmed down a bit, didn't they? Mm. But I think the, the key difference was that they were cheering the heel and booing the face. Sorry. Yeah booing the heel and cheering the face whereas at WXW there was a there was a face and a heel but they were both getting equal chance so there was no investment in the storyline WXW had presented there people were just chanting for these two guys for the sake of it and almost I felt like making themselves a part of it whereas here it felt like the crowd hated Spike Trevay and loved Jordan Brakes and they were chanting accordingly so I had no problem with this you know what I mean and I, I thought that was far more genuine than what happened at WXW and like you know, you mentioned, Benno, about 
the, it being a simple match and that kind of thing. Like, I think the in-ring, like, I've always loved the Spike Trevay character. And for I, I actually did a Twitter search because I've been banging on to OTT about bringing that guy over for at least two years now. I wanted to see how, how far back. It's 2018 I've been talking about because you can imagine that guy going into an OTT Hell crowd. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, the biggest, it's the biggest open goal you'll ever have. It's a conservative a tough walking in, he won't even have to say anything and he'll have the crowd on his back. You know what I mean? So I've always been high on the idea of Spike Trevay, but the in-ring has been the thing that maybe let it down. But like, I thought this in-ring performance was the performance of his life. Um, and the major thing that I couldn't get over was his selling of his arm. Um, there was an early point in the match where Jordan Brakes puts the I think it's, it's, it's his version of the Jim Brake special, puts it on him. And from that moment onwards, he sells that arm like he's in agony. Like he's kind of, he's holding it, he's letting it hang down by his side like a bird with a broken wing. Like when he's on the floor and Brakes puts the, the submission on again, he taps out. Um, at one point, he tries to go for a butterfly suplex and he can't get it because his arm lets him down again. When he puts on a sleeper, he's kind of, he's shaking out his arm and he can't put the sleeper hold on properly because the arm is so damaged. Um, at one point after the sleeper hold, he's doing that thing where he's kind of flexing his fingers because his arm kind of has gone a little bit numb. Um, he hits that un- double underhook shoulder breaker at one point and straight away he's in agony afterwards after hitting it. Um, and do you remember at the point where they do the ref bump and he's yes. trying to, he tries to pull the turnbuckle, the turnbuckle. cover off? Yeah. But he can't do it. His arm is so <laughs> damaged that he can't. Like, that's you. You know me, guys. And when I'm yeah. watching wrestling, and where there's when there's fine detail in a match, and when you when you have a wrestler that shows that he's thinking about his match, and he, he's put serious thought into like I'm going to sell this arm so well in this match that even in little like even after the match when the referee goes to or it was no it was Damon Moser tries to lift his arm up and hold him, hold the title aloft. And straight away, he collapses onto the ground in agony with his arm. So like, you know, and people say like, why do you care so much about selling? And why are you so happy to see somebody selling? But selling is is the key fundamental thing of pro wrestling. So like, when I bang on about selling in a match and why it's so important, and maybe some people roll their eyes and they think it's, it's a super nerdy thing to be talking about. But the whole point about the selling in this match is it elevates the match as a whole because um, it, if you have Spike Trevay selling that arm so well during the match, it puts over the fact that Jordan Briggs' submission hold is an absolute killer move. So every single time he puts that on during the match, you really feel like it's going to be the end of the match, like because you really feel he's almost going to break um, Spike Trevay's arm off, you know. And um, even though Jordan loses the match, you come out of it feeling like he's completely enhanced and completely elevated. So like if you have a professional wrestling match where you come out of it thinking Spike Trevay is a legitimate champion and a great wrestler, but you also come out of it thinking that Jordan Briggs is a legitimate contender, everybody in that match has done their job perfectly. You know what I mean? And like, I just can't gush enough about that Spike Trevay performance. Like, I really, really didn't think he had the in-ring stuff in his locker that he showed in this match. And like, if that guy has a brain for wrestling as good as he showed in this match, there's no limit to what he can do in pro wrestling. I always thought it was the wrestling itself that would let him down. And like, if he's going to start producing performances like that, like, God, he is a guy to watch for the next few years, you know? And it was great with the selling at the end when he was on the floor and he was saying, you know, I've beaten him for you guys. And then he was just like, oh, just break his arm now, you know. To and he was just brilliant the way he sort of like delivered that and everything. And um, 
And and then obviously at the end we got the uh, just before they were about to sort of like quote unquote break his arm with the chair we got the pre-recorded voice message from David Starr challenging Spike at uh, the Riptide Rumble and the place sort of like exploded didn't it and that's another match that I'm really annoyed that we're not getting yeah like imagine what those like you think about the wrestling brain that David Starr has and now we have Spike Trevay who's demonstrated the wrestling brain that he has and the character work imagine the magic those two guys can produce like between the promos and the match itself like that's that that might be one of the great tragedies of the current coronavirus situation that we that we might have to wait a year or more to see that match because god like i was just sitting there thinking i really really want that riptide rumble to be next month and to see it as soon as mm. possible you know <laughs> i love the, the retro feel of it as well that it's an audio clip like i love that yeah. just, just yeah. playing yeah. star over the pa and people are kind of looking to the entrance and then slowly realize it, it is just what it is um i thought that was brilliant yeah like think Two characters who just slot together so perfectly for a, yeah. for a feud. Uh, and yeah, you know, again, we, we've raved about Spike Trevay, but yeah, this is the... He should be in this position. He should be bossing the cockpit shows. He should oh. be progress driver lay up there to become the oh. heel there. Like, the, yeah. he, you know, they put him with a terrible stable and he didn't help himself doing a bit of comedy early on. Remember, remember that whole, the second show they were there, they were doing like comedy with the um, security around the ring, like silly dive spots and mm. just didn't really take themselves very seriously, I don't think. And I don't think, obviously the booking didn't help either, but I want to see him in this position in every promotion. And yeah, the fact that I'm excited about a Spectre of Hate David Starr, uh, that's probably says everything hopefully we we do get that sooner rather than later um but yeah what was to say as well i got you know on that main event performance as you said jamesy like jordan briggs was great for his part too you know i loved him as the underdog baby face i love that moment where he kind of tapped on the outside of the ring sorry where spike tapped on the outside of the ring and then jordan gets bumped and then bailey makes it back for the 10 counts i thought he was a real revelation in the match as well i do have some questions about him still going by the jordan briggs name like, I don't think, you know, we were saying off air, like, is he a relation of Jim Briggs? I don't think he is. <sighs> Unless I've been worked, I don't know. But like, I don't know whether you keep that name with all the, you know, the, the horrific news surrounding yeah. Jim Briggs that made mainstream press in this country and continues to make mainstream press. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a minor aside. Uh, but I did think this was a this this was a, a coming out party for him. Like, he's a, he's a name that, you know, has got again like a lot of the guys on this show has come across you know people's radar especially over these last 12 months and it really made me think about him as a, a wrestler and as a as a hope for the future maybe that uh that criticism aside oh i didn't like when he uh he mentioned as well sorry on that in that opening promo where he said about uh where else in the world are you going to get a spring rolled hot dog than oh, yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like mate every hips the town in the entire country that's where you get <laughs> on a lighter point uh but yeah there was, there was plenty to love about him in the not made a bed, so yeah, that shouldn't uh, shouldn't get lost either. I think right decision as well. I mean, Trevago over it's too early, isn't it, for Jordan breaks. Oh. I think sort of like build him up over. Uh, well, when we all quote unquote get back to normal, but um, yeah, I think build him up again and maybe have him challenge Treve somewhere down the line. And I, I don't think I, I think it might have been too much too soon uh, to give oh, him the belt yeah. here. Um, oh yeah, doing oh, it with yeah. like stable shenanigans as well with like that insane Robinson double stomp kind of, uh, you know, from the... Oh, yeah, he's completely smashed was that? his head down, didn't he? <laughs> oh, speaking of uh, Ring of Honor, that was very low-key, that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he definitely uh, lost nothing from losing to that. And I oh, yeah, feel we, like we... Treve's got a good 
he's found a good balance between sort of like it's because in early progress, I remember one of the Sheffield shows where he came out with a bottle of uh, champagne or, or carver or whatever it was and like spat it in uh, Brit West's away yeah. day's face. And, and that's, yeah, that's, that's a right. bit too much where he's yeah. found that he's found a good sort of level now with this sort of like crowd interaction i feel like um you know he's found a really good place with that it was maybe too much at the start and now it's it's just the right level i think he feels like he's playing a character that that could uh, like you guys were saying it can very easily veer into comedy when you're playing the tory you know what i mean and people like to joke about the tories and like you know the lord of the manor character it can very easily veer into parody but he feels he, there's, there's a menacing quality to him. He feels dangerous, doesn't he? Like the way he got those guys to kind of break um, Jordan Brakes' leg, that kind of thing. There's a dangerous edge to him. Like they've pitched him perfectly as this heel character. And like, I think they'd be absolutely insane to take that title off him anytime soon. Like I'm hoping for a year plus run where he kind of terrorizes the promotion until a baby face kind of rises up to beat him. You know what I mean? Whether it's a Cara Noir, if he's going to hang around that long, or you go back to Jordan breaks in a year's time or something like that. You know what I mean? Because imagine the pop, if you have a year long reign where he terrorizes the promotion, does everything in his power to keep the title, cheats to win all his matches. Imagine the pop from that crowd when a beloved baby face beats him. You know what I mean? And that's the whole point of having a heel champion. It's the guy who beats him that gets elevated because of it. Definitely. And if our review of that hasn't put it over enough, we'll definitely go and check out Riptide on VOD. And they've got plenty of free stuff on YouTube if you've not checked them out before. So, uh, I mean, I know people have got plenty of time to be watching stuff and uh, you could certainly do a lot worse than that. And, um, oh, yeah. I mean, just before we get out of here, guys, um, any plugs? Jamesy, I know you've been on made a few appearances on different podcasts in the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I think being on podcasts has been part of my keeping myself sane for the last kind of three or four weeks of this pandemic. So, yeah, you, you mentioned them earlier, Martin. Um, the Days of Thunder podcast with my good friends, uh, Lee Malone and Dave Ryan, where we talked about the great Ric Flair and looked at six of his matches. And, of course, my appearance on um, Will Cooling's I always mess up the name of it. British Wrestling Report on on the post-wrestling where we talked about British Strong Style. So have a look at those. They both kind of came out in the last week or two. And apart from that, just my Twitter at Jamesy underscore 2015. Awesome. Uh, yeah, for me as well. But again, I think, you know, we mentioned having a lot of spare time. But I think in this spare time, I think we've just all been knocking all the podcasts out, haven't we? Uh, mm-hmm. Over on the spotlight side, you know, we've been doing our, our regular shows. And we started recording them on a Saturday night because it kind of feels like mm-hmm. a, it's just, it's like a social occasion. You know what I mean? We can have a couple of beers, like a chat, to our, chat to, to our mates and kind of uh, treat it like we're down at the pub. Uh, so if you're into that kind of podcast, we've been doing that every week uh, over on Spotlight. Uh, we might, you know, we may be Maybe we're not quite ready to uh, announce it here yet, Jamesy, but we might have uh, a little bit more Jamesy uh, over on the grapple yeah, feed coming yeah. up. So yeah. uh, keep an eye out for some uh, some news on that front. Uh, but also, yeah, obviously we've had a lot of you over as well, Mom. We did our, our we did a couple of uh, '90s flashback shows, looking at, at certain periods of the '90s. Uh, we looked at 1994 WCW, and our last one, like I mentioned at the top of the show, was uh, some 1997 WCW and the Nitro era. And yeah, this uh, this next week, so this coming week, we're going to. Uh, we're talking a bit of WWF from that period as well with uh, some Canadian stampedes. So, yeah, fans of Martin uh, should definitely check that out too. Yeah, really looking forward to that one. I mean, that's, I mean, from top to bottom, one of my favorite WWF shows, and certainly that Molten 10 man tag is uh, one of the best best matches of its kind. So, yeah, really looking forward to that one. And, um, I mean, 
Um, also on the post wrestling side, there's been some great interviews up this past week. I've had John chatting with John Moxley and then Andrew Thompson chatting with Christian. So uh, definitely well worth checking them out. And also just a shout out Andy Ogden, who um, appears on the show usually bi-weekly. He's been doing some retro reviews over his pod, Graps and Claps. So be sure to check this out. Uh, I think recently he did um, some old progress shows and um, and then he's been doing some WCW and even did... Um, an, an old one PW one that I listened to mm, yesterday. That was that a lot was great. Of fun. So uh, yeah, definitely check those out. And of course, uh, forum.postwrestling.com for any of your feedback. And we'll be back in two weeks' time. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you then. <laughs>